Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Muller She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my guest is Brian Karam. He's a White House columnist, the author of Free the Press, The Death of American Journalism and How to Revive It. And he hosts the podcast, Just Ask the Question. I am really excited to talk to him. I can't wait. But before we get into our conversation, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's woman run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Check out all the tiers. I do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads. You can hear the free shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show just for patrons where I talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a little more personal, kind of like my online diary. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup. And don't forget, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Brian Karam. Welcome to the show, Brian. Well, I thanks for having me. <laughs> well, it's exciting to talk to you just because, first of all, I've established a little bit. I sent you a picture of my dad because my dad was an ABC News cameraman and he... He worked on several campaigns, and he also worked in the press room, where you spend a lot of your time. And so uh, the funny thing is, is I was reading some of your book, and you mentioned Sam Donaldson, and I thought, hmm. So I sent you a picture of my dad, and you said you kind of recognized him. But the thing that strikes me is that you guys both really liked, or at least had favorable things to say about Sam Donaldson. And when I was younger... It's like 1993, I believe it was. Uh, my grandparents had their 50th wedding anniversary, and my father got Sam Donaldson to uh, appear in this video that they made for my grandparents. Um, and, uh, and he said, he quoted, uh, where is it? He quoted uh, uh, Robert Browning. Grow old along with me, the best is yet to be, the last of life for which the first was made. Whenever I hear that quote, I think of him, and it's just so funny that, and you had, I'm going to ask you about that, but you had a good experience with him. And so it's funny to me because, and I'll shut up in a second, I swear I'll let you talk, but um, <laughs> sometimes when, you know, people who have been in politics for a long time follow me or, you know, we follow each other, whether they're Republican or Democrat, I'm like, hey, do you know my dad? And so many people know him. They, you know, they, they recognize him. And I think it's so funny that here I am interviewing people and talking to people and my dad is kind of cross paths or work with them. So it's just fun for me. <laughs> Well, it's a small group of us that have uh, kind of uh, conglomerated together in the uh, White House briefing room over the years. So yeah. you kind of get to know everybody. And like I said, your dad looked awful familiar to me. And he's he, the thing about the people who carry cameras that we never talk about or that they rarely talk about is those are the people who usually know most of what's going on in the White House and all the mechanics of how it happens. And if you're a smart reporter, you'll listen to your cameraman. <laughs> I'm going to tell him he's going to love that. <laughs> I mean, he's retired now, but yeah, that he'll love that. That's funny. Um, okay, so I, I, I want to talk with you today a little bit about your book, and then I also want to talk about, uh, you know, the war and stuff. So first, and I just also need you to know that swearing is totally fine on my show. I swear all the time, so just FYI. <laughs> you, you don't have to ask. <laughs> Okay, let's see. Um, now, you why did you write your book, Free? I know you've written other books, but why did you write Free the Press? Well, because I, you know, after Donald Trump came in and called us the enemy of the people, mm -hmm. um, and you would hear people complain on the left and the right about the problems with the press, and people are right. There, There is a big problem in the press, but it's not what people think. It's not that we 
purposely, you know, some do, but you, as an institution, you don't tilt right or tilt left. You tilt towards the money. <laughs> and journalism is built around that. Mm-hmm. How many eyes, eyeballs we can put on, you know, it's clickbait, it's video clickbait. It's like when you, I first got into the business and they go, oh, go cover this fire. And you would go, well, there's this other thing that means a lot more. Yeah, but there's cool flame video. People like <laughs> to watch that. I mean, it's wow. always geared toward building a huge audience. And the problem with journalism is that it's it's geared toward toward building what people want to read, see, or hear rather than what they need to read, see, or hear. Yeah. And because of the consolidation in the news business, it's become even more uh, problematic. And, of course – you know, when I got into the business, 80% of what you see, read, or hear was, you know, run by a couple of dozen companies. And today, more than 90% of what you see, read, or hear are owned by six companies. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you none of those are liberal. I mean, the boardrooms of these companies, of these large, you know, uh, mainstream media news companies are not liberal. They're mm-hmm. just, they want money. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that um, what people don't see is that we have become journalism has become tethered to capitalism mm-hmm. now i'm i'm a huge capitalist buy as many copies of my book as you <laughs> i support it wholeheartedly <laughs> but journalism itself can't be tethered mm-hmm. to that and when it does it perverts what journalism is mm-hmm. and so that's that's the problem and i try to outline it and show it <clears throat> over the 40 years how it has changed and Sam Donaldson was one of the ones who noticed it in the beginning. It, it began with Ronald. Well, it began with Richard Nixon and Roger Ailes, mm-hmm. but it didn't take root uh, until uh, until Ronald Reagan. And then every president since then has contributed to the demise of journalism, mm-hmm. and that is Republican or Democrat. And unless we change it, there was a very prophetic thing that was said in 1958 at the radio. Uh, television news directors association meeting the uh, keynote speaker was edward r murrow and he said look if we don't change what we're doing in the future we'll just be you know promoting slogans and propaganda and here we are yeah and he he also has some hope he said look we're we're an imitative society so if one person starts to do it right uh then others will find that they can make money doing it the right way. So we have to, someone's got to be brave enough to do it the right way. And, and this book is, is an attempt to show the direction I think we can go in to do it the right way. Hmm. Hopefully people will read it and, and, and catch on. Yeah. So how did, how would you say that um, George W. Bush and Obama, how did they help along the demise of journalism? Well, I can go from, Reagan got rid of the, I'll start with Reagan. He, mm-hmm. he got rid of the, um, <clears throat> the one of the guidelines uh, and, and guardrails that were institutionally important, and that's the Fairness Doctrine, mm-hmm. which helped create all of television news. Yeah. Uh, once you got rid of that, that, that created the Fox News environment. You don't have to be fair and balanced, although they claim to be. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want. So that was the first, that was the start of it. Then Reagan also allowed um, multiple ownership when Reagan came in, the unions at the time were trying to lobby Congress to limit ownership of newspapers to 20 and television stations and limit uh, how many you could own in a market. And of course it was Reagan and Bush who got Reagan and then Bush who got rid of those guidelines. Hmm. 
and the FCC allowed uh, multiple ownership where they hadn't had before. And in fact, because Roger Ailes wanted to own a television station and a newspaper in Boston, I think it was, uh, Reagan gave him a pass. And even though it was not at the time kosher, he let him do it. So then after that, you had uh, Bill Clinton, the 1996 Telecommunication Act, uh, which he signed into law. He didn't create, but he signed it into law, was uh, an overt attempt and worked at uh, stripping away the guardrails to multiple ownership in radio stations, which is why iHeartRadio owns about, what, 90% of the daggone news stations anymore, which is horrible for, for news. Yeah. And then uh, there was the Patriot Act with uh, George uh, W. Bush, mm-hmm. which enabled um, basically for a you know government to spy on us without even having the the, the courtesy of going to court to get an, the, yeah. you know, the ability to do it. They allowed that. Uh, and then Obama used the Espionage Act eight times to go after whistleblowers, uh, so uh, we couldn't get information. And then Donald Trump, well, he's Donald Trump. And he, you know, Jesus, the, he, everybody else was a slip down the slippery slope and right. took a head nose dive into the deep end. And then even the current uh, uh, President Biden, he campaigned on supporting the free press. He campaigned on holding uh, MBS and Saudi Arabia to task for killing Jamal Khashoggi, who was an um, – he was – a reporter living in the United States, working for a U.S. paper, murdered and dismembered and torched, and I think they incinerated his body in Turkey. We know who did it. We know how it was done. And uh, he promised to hold uh, Saudi Arabia accountable. And when he came into office, his idea of holding uh, Saudi Arabia accountable was to uh, suspend the prince's television privileges uh, telephone privileges, so he will only talk with his dad, and he won't talk with his son. Hardly the, the you know, the support for the First Amendment that we need. Mm-hmm. In addition, Biden has also limited access uh, by reporters under the uh, aegis of trying to protect us during COVID. However, COVID restrictions have been lifted pretty much everywhere, and still we limit the number of reporters in the East Room for what was traditionally open press events where hundreds would uh, gather today it's an event where maybe a couple of dozen gather mm-hmm. every president has battled the first amendment every president has helped to destroy the free press and so i hold none of them i hold them all in the highest minimum regard and the deepest deepest recesses of hell are reserved for donald trump <laughs> yeah. Yes, I agree. How how would you say, you know, I know your whole book is about this, but uh, maybe just give us one or two ways to improve what has been damaged. Well, I, I do talk about this quite a bit, and there's a couple of things that have to be done. First of all, use existing antitrust legislation to bust up the large media monopolies. Mm-hmm. There are more than two times the number of people on this planet is on the day that I was born, and there are half the number of reporters because hmm. there are very few companies that have reporters. Mm-hmm. If you had more companies with more reporters, you'd get what Ben Bagdickian of the Washington Post used to set a, say a, a real useful diversity of reporting and ownership is needed, and we don't have that. Hmm. That's number one. Number two, you've got to reinstitute the fairness doctrine mm-hmm. and put up some guardrails to make sure that um, we and, and you know and make it applicable across 
the internet as well. And you're going to have to have a blue ribbon commission. I recommend that, you know, to study how to make it effective. I think you also have to support community journalists. Mm -hmm. I think that the, one of the biggest problem is, you know, today there's vast news deserts where there's no newspapers. And that's because people like the Alden, uh, venture capital group, I call them vulture capitalists mm -hmm. have, you know, stripped and robbed bear and closed a lot of newspapers. Um, and they own a couple of hundred or more and they shouldn't. And so there are whole communities that don't have, uh, newspapers anymore. They say newspapers are dead. True. We killed them. If we brought them back and supported them, they'd be viable. There is a value to a newspaper that mm -hmm. you cannot get on the internet. The internet, you go for a hard targeted search for information. When you pick up a newspaper, you're, you're open to reading about a lot of different things. Hmm. And you can't replicate that online. Right, yeah. So you need to have newspapers. So low interest loans. Uh, how about a, a tax rebate if you subscribe to a newspaper? Hmm. Uh, it, th those kind of things, low interest loans and, and tax breaks for small community newspapers are much yeah. needed. Community newspapers also you need to have, getting down in the weeds, you need more than anything else to make sure that governments are responsible by publishing public notice ads, which they've quit doing because governments go, well, we can save money and just publish them on our own website. Well, some people don't go to the web. Okay. Yes. Some people don't. And then besides if they do, I do not trust the government to post public notice information on a website <laughs> that can be easily hacked and changed. Right. It needs to be vetted by a third party source. That's us. And by the way, those the money that we get from that subsidize a lot of small community newspapers without those public notice ads you are killing newspapers with a thousand cuts and at the same time you're becoming less uh, 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 transparent for for the readers and for the uh, citizens that you know depend on newspapers and those public notice ads also served another purpose it's like you know, salesmen, lawyers would look at them and go, all right, uh, oh, but, and, and, you know, regular citizens, oh, oh, the city council's meeting on Thursday. I want to go to that. Oh, look, here's uh, an estate sale. Somebody died. Mm -hmm. Oh, here's somebody got a raise. Oh, here's someone, you know, had to file bankruptcy. And that helped build communities. Mm -hmm. And so newspapers were a valuable commodity in building communities. And without them, we don't build communities. We tear each other apart. You and I may disagree on a national level mm -hmm. about what can be done, you know, say in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you, whether you're far right, far left, or in the middle, or none of the above, and we all live in the same neighborhood, we all want a paved street. We all want the water to be mm -hmm. clean, the electricity to run. And by the way, that stoplight down the street isn't working. Can we get it fixed? All of those things are addressed in community newspapers mm -hmm. as well as high school sports and and you know to go into pta meetings and the pool uh, group meeting and all of those things are in local newspapers and that is by the way where a lot of national stories begin infrastructure stories uh, corruption all of it begins there locally so supporting those has to occur and then finally in regards to you know like the espionage act and things like that we need a and this is, has been supported by Republicans and Democrats and yet still hasn't been passed. For what reason, I have no idea. But uh, we need a shield law to protect reporters so they do not go to jail when they have confidential sources. Hmm. The last time that was introduced in Congress, both Jamie Raskin and Jim Jordan co-sponsored this bill. 
that wow. you will find two more different <laughs> right. in the political spectrum. Yeah. Those two, one of them defended Trump and the other one prosecuted him. <laughs> and yet they got together for this particular, you know, piece of legislation. Mike Pence proposed a, a shield law, pass it. That's one of the easiest things to do. Right. If we do these things, these four things, then I would think that we would have a much stronger, much healthier uh, journalistic community and people would quit griping or at least gripe less. <laughs> I think they would gripe less. Yeah. <laughs> people have to gripe. Um, so what – like do you have any access to lawmakers that you're like pitching them these ideas? Are they – I mean obviously All Raskin and, and Jim Jordan, but anyway. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah I, I have a hard time talking to Jim Jordan because <laughs> – I, five seconds in, I just want to smack him. And yeah. that's really not a good thing to do to a member of the future, although, it, you know, it, it, you know, you want to. But wanna. that being said, um, yes, I have. And they are – now, you're not going to find many people uh, in Congress or elsewhere who are real interested in uh, putting together – breaking up media monopolies, yeah. unfortunately. Right. Well, uh, you know that's unfortunate. And, but it's, pardon me. Not, not me. <laughs> well, I, I remember uh, just God. I'm trying to think. Of, I think it was like 2019. I wanted to write something about the way that the press was handling, just in an overall sense, the press was handling handling Donald Trump, and <laughs> I was pitching it to the press. And, of course, I kept getting rejected. And then finally somebody told me, no, we're not going to post something that basically is critical of us. And so, you know, th that was unfortunate. And, I mean, I totally believe my father. Maybe, uh, imagine trying to write a book about the same subject. Yeah, I can. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. <laughs> but everything you say makes a lot of sense. And that, you know, my question about if you're able to talk to lawmakers about it is because I want it to happen. I mean, and you mentioned the Fairness Doctrine, and you said something about it extending to the Internet, which would, of course, also extend to cable. Is is there a way they could actually do that um, sure. easily? Sure. Yeah, well, there's like a way, but you're going to have to get people right. together to yeah. find the way to do it. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm not that – I'm not – the guy with the logarithms, you know, logarithms right. and, and the mechanics of it. There are people who know those things. Yeah. If you can track the internet to present to you an ad that you, that they think you would. <laughs> yeah. This can be done. Anybody who says it can't be done either has a vested interest in it, not being done or doesn't understand how stupid that statement is. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what do you think, I'm really curious to know, what do you think about Anonymous, specifically what they're doing to Russians? Anonymous who? The, the hackers? The hackers, yeah. Well, that's got nothing to do with journalism. Um, it does have a lot to do with um, being active in, in your community. And, you know, this is a, we live in a scary time. Putin has put to death reporters that mm -hmm. uh, have uh, opposed him. He invaded a country for no reason. He's put the world on the brink of nuclear destruction. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I, I think in regards to journalists, I don't know that some of the younger journalists quite understand mm -hmm. the position the world is in. 
you know, I remember duck and cover drills going yes, me to great. Yeah. Um, I, I remember the spear I lived in until like 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down and the Soviet Union crumbled. It was odd. I didn't realize how much, you know, it weighed on me mm-hmm. until it, I didn't have that burden anymore, that I I could, felt like I could breathe a day and maybe we weren't going to blow ourselves to smithereens today. And I have... <laughs> revisited those feelings for what 32 years mm-hmm. and here we are back again and it's more frightening than the cold war because yes, honestly it, it, it appears that putin is just bat shit nuts uh-huh and that's got to be frightening so those people who are pushing back what are you going to do you can't you can't lay down to a bully right yeah well, yeah, I mean, it's the idea of anonymous. Um, I, I don't necessarily like vigilante hackers, and I guess that's what you could refer to them as, because, you know, they are deter- – They if they can access like, – evidently they shut down uh, the Russian government website, and then they went on Russian television. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they put images of what was happening in Ukraine on Russian television, and of course I love that they're doing that. Um, for obvious reasons. But on the other hand, it all really depends on whoever those hackers are, what their morality is. So, you know. I don't care what their morality is. That was an act of journalism. It's like the woman who got the Pulitzer Prize for shooting a video of of a cop putting his knee on on George Floyd's Mm -hmm. neck, killing him. She got a special Pulitzer. She wasn't a journalist. Right. She's not a professional journalist. What she did was an act of journalism, hmm. showing people what is going on without comment, without rhetoric, without any opinion. Yeah. This is what is happening. That's the purest form of journalism. And we need far more of that and far less of the people pontificating and telling us, I get so sick. And look, I've been on these shows, so I'm not talking about someone who you know i'm not talking from a position i don't know what of what i'm speaking i've been on these shows and these these panel shows are often just choreographed circuses Mm -hmm. where you know one side argues this one side argues that and and when we come back we'll have a parting shot from so-and-so and And it's all for sport Mm -hmm. and this is far too serious this is about you know this is about whether or not we exist as a species. Do we continue to, or do we blow ourselves up and, and just call it a day? Yeah. And that's, so anyone who's letting people know mm-hmm. what's going on, you have to kind of go, ah, all right, I'm with yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty much where I am. As much as the idea of hacktivists is kind of freaky because if they're able to, you know, hack into Russian television, I don't know. Maybe you know. God only knows what they're capable of doing. It could happen hours, but yeah, that's what can I tell you? That's <laughs> I, I mean, social media has actually been very, very good in this yeah. particular um, and current mess, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, so it's it's actually you know uh, actually been a good thing. Yeah, I agree. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. We will be back after this message. 
Hey there, it's Kimberly. If you'd like to support the Start Me Up podcast, just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. You'll see all the different tiers. You can make your choice and you will have my undying gratitude. Thank you so much. Okay, we are back. So let's just talk about Putin's invasion, which is what I'm calling it. Um, Today, Biden announced that there was a ban on all Russian oil. And, you know, what I want to know what you think about this is I've heard other pundits talk about this war could take months or years but I'm not sure that that's an accurate take as far as all the sanctions that, you know, we're putting on him. The world is against him. He, I, I don't think this is necessarily comparable to other wars or at least ones that have happened, you know, in the last 10 or 20 years. Do you think that this invasion is going to turn into them occupying? Do you see this going on for years? I, I know you're not a psychic and I'm not asking you to say what will happen, but do you see it happening for an extended period of time? Well... If the world lasts more than six weeks from now and <laughs> Russia is still there, then perhaps it will go on for an extended period of time. But it was the president today who said he will never occupy, fully occupy Ukraine, and they will never give up. Mm-hmm. He's committed a lot of resources to this. Biden has asked for a month, said, look, let's see where these sanctions get us in a month. Mm-hmm. He's put together a coalition uh, far stronger than Putin imagined. <laughs> and, of course, Germany has ponied up to do more than anyone imagined mm-hmm. Germany would do. Yeah. So, a month from now, let's see where we are. Right. And six weeks from now, let's see if we're still here. If we haven't, you know, decided to pull a nuclear trigger. And, you know, I, I've read all kind of pundit stuff about, you know, this could be a long-term war. This could be a short-term war. How do you win? I, you know, I had a reporter come up to me that, in the White House and go, you know, I don't think we could win a nuclear war. I go, pal, nobody wins a nuclear <laughs> <No>. war. <laughs> mutually assured destruction. Yeah. There's a reason. Yeah. You, they launch, we launch. And, well, what if it's just a tactical nuke? I go, well, that would be on Monday. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday, we all launch. Mm-hmm. It's You cannot use nukes. Yeah, you just can't because no one can keep the – you know, the nuclear genie in the bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we were able to do that after World War II because at the time we were the only country that had them. Mm-hmm. And we restrained ourselves after two. I, you know, <laughs> and now how many nations have nuclear weapons? Mm-hmm. Plenty of them. Mm-hmm. Enough to blow the world up many times. Yes. That part of the equation has not changed since the end of the Cold War. Yeah. And what has changed is that now there is some idiot who's threatening to use them because they won't let him take over Ukraine like he wants to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Boo-hoo. Boo-hoo. Yeah. Well, and I mean, add to the fact, and I, I heard, I don't know who it was, but somebody last night, I believe it was on Joy Reid, was talking about the fact that today in Russia is very different, especially for young people, for everyone, but especially for young people than it was just two weeks ago. They don't have access to Twitter or Facebook or TikTok uh, or, or Netflix. The ruble is trash. They can't access Pornhub. And while we can laugh and giggle about that, you know, we all know what that means. Um, Russians oh, have been... <laughs> why? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> the the Russian people who like to watch porn aren't going to be having as much fun. So, um, <laughs> to the Russians who like to create the porn and create the porn. Yes, exactly. They can't be making their money. Um, 
and yeah, and the ruble is trash. You know, it's funny because I don't know that you know this. My listeners all know this. But I lived in Russia in 1981 and because my dad worked for ABC News. So I was there for a full school, school year. And there's this guy, Nikolai, who worked for the ABC. I don't know exactly what he did, but he, he worked for the Bureau. And I know he was a driver, but he was basically, he saved everybody's asses multiple times. He was just a cool guy. So my father, you know, was friends with him. He unfortunately recently died of COVID. But um, he had told my father, and I wish I could remember the exact quote, but it was like when, when Russians run out of money for bread you know all hell breaks loose basically because there's like a bread store in every corner this was back in soviet russia but and and it's not obviously it's not soviet right now but it's still the idea that if if people if their lives are drastically changed and they recognize i mean we've already heard from these soldiers who are talking about the fact that they were misled. They don't necessarily, there was that prisoner of war who said, hey, this is justified. I would do exactly the same thing. What we're doing is wrong. We've heard about soldiers abandoning tanks and not really wanting to go through with this. So it's very difficult for me to imagine that this would go on. And I agree with your assessment that if we're all still here in six weeks and, you know, uh, I, I just don't see how it's going to, it's going to last because it well, I, can't I last. All the information I've heard on both sides. In Russia, it's only cost, you know, like, I, I think, you know, I think three people got a hangnail. We're doing great. <laughs> uh, and then you listen to Ukraine, and it's, uh, there. we have thousands of, of soldiers, and we've got multiple, mm-hmm. you know, numbers of, um, of prisoners of war. The only thing that I can verify that I've seen are some of the POWs who apparently didn't know what was going on. But in the, the first thing, you know, and it's, I'm not the first one to say this, but the first victim of war is honesty and truth mm-hmm. and facts. Mm-hmm. So until I'm over there and can see it myself, I question everything that I see reader here. I don't know what's real. Mm-hmm. I only know this much that Putin started a war for a reason that is spurious at best and uh, threatens the entire world with what he's done. Mm -hmm. Now there have been, we've seen the video of of people from Russia protesting. Mm -hmm. We've seen you, we've seen citizens around the world supporting, and there's no doubt. There's one thing that we don't doubt that (laughs) Russia started a a war for no reason. Mm -hmm. That's that we know some people are dead that we know they haven't captured many uh pieces of property in ukraine yet that we know but in that fog of war all those little minute details i'm not sure of yet Hmm. i you know that's why i i you know i hope that that there are russian soldiers going hey this is fucked up i want to go home Mm -hmm. i hope there's more of them i know that there are having interviewed some of the mothers i know that they're they're real Mm-hmm. And having interviewed some of the people on the ground in Ukraine and knowing uh, I know some of the reporters that are in Kiev, I know that some of what we're reporting in the West is true. The numbers of dead and injured, I don't know what's true there. I do know that the appearance is that Russia, the Russian people don't want this. That's obvious. That's plain. Mm-hmm. But, the you know, the devil's in the details and those I don't know. Hmm, interesting. I, I saw somebody, and I wish I could remember who it was, um, last night. I do watch MSNBC. It might have been Alexander Vindman. I'm not sure. 
but it was somebody credible and their take on this was that Putin wasn't going to use nuclear weapons because he didn't want a nuclear war and you know he that he understands that it will all come back to bite him in the ass um, that, and there's that and then add to there is the even Rachel Maddow has suggested that Vladimir Putin's mind is not altogether that you know he's lost some of his marbles um, if he ever had any if he ever had any um, but but I you know the, I look at this man and I think he has obviously since he's been the president of Russia he is in his autocratic bubble which isolates him from the world and then you add to the last couple of years with COVID it's only made that bubble even more sealed and secure and his perception of reality is very skewed. And, um, he's very Trumpian. Yeah, he's See? very, yeah. <laughs> and, but far more dangerous than Trump because he's, you know, well, look, I have socks at home that are sitting in the corner right now <laughs> that are smarter than Donald Trump. But um, he's, he's smarter than Donald Trump. He's like Donald Trump. That makes him far more dangerous than Donald Trump. Yes, agree. And I've heard all kinds of rumors about he had a TIA or – What's you know, a t- what's a TIA? You know, like a mini stroke, oh, or that okay. he's syphilis, or that he's, you know, he's got early onset dementia. Yeah. I've heard all of those rumors. Again, I can't verify any of them. That's yeah. like when people, you know, when Trump went to the hospital that one time, and there was all kinds of conjecture. And mm-hmm. look, I'm standing ten feet away from the man, and I'm asking him questions, and he looks like he's lost a step or two. Mm-hmm. He looked like he was nuts to begin with, and now he looks like he's slow and nuts. <laughs> but I, I'm not a doctor. I can't, <laughs> diag- I can't diagnose Vladimir Putin. I just know that anybody who is going to threaten nuclear war is a dumbass and dangerous. <laughs> well, I can't argue with you there. But it does seem to me the fact that because he's been so isolated and because the COVID thing has made it worse, I mean, you know, I mean, there's, like I said, there's been speculation if he's lost his marbles. Has he? I don't know. Um, but I do think that when autocrats, they are not able to live a normal life for obvious reasons because they have to keep up this lie. And then that, so they, just like with Donald Trump or any autocrat, they, there are people that they've got the yes men and all they hear is what they want to hear. And that's it. And I think if you hear that for decades, it's going to skew how you perceive reality. And I, you know, yeah, I genuinely believe that Putin, well, I mean, I think it's an obvious statement to say he has no real grasp on reality because this whole venture has completely backfired i can't even imagine you know so many of so many would speculate about trump when stuff would go south for trump in any any way for whatever it was he was doing uh we would all wonder how is how is he dealing with this i haven't heard anybody talking about you know putin throwing fits obviously that's news that's not going to come out it's not going to necessarily leak but i can only imagine what it must be like for him because he had this idea how things were going to go and it's not going the way he wanted to go and then you know how do you second guess or how do you try to figure out what uh, a fucking madman who has a skewed version of reality is going to react with anything i think that i think it makes sense to say that he doesn't want to have a nuclear war but i don't think it's I don't think we should be assuming anything. I think we should just all be ready for any kind of possibility because it doesn't yeah, matter I mean, what his intentions are. This is a war mm-hmm. and things are volatile in a war situation. Mm-hmm. And so we've already said we're not putting boots on the ground there. Mm-hmm. 
But Poland is right next door. Poland is resupplying Ukraine. If one Russian boot sets foot in Poland, game over. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you're right. It can happen in a war. It's not like this is, you know, you're playing it on your computer, which yeah. is also kind of nutty, but you, it's, this is reality. A stray missile here, a stray firing there, a bomb that doesn't go off, a bomb that goes in the wrong place, mm -hmm. a, an airplane that crashes that's mistaken for, you know, a bomb. Anything mm -hmm. could widen the scope of the conflict, and the wider the scope of the conflict gets, the more volatile it becomes, and the more possible the use of nuclear weapons occurs. The more possibilities occur that that would happen. Those are the things that yet his intentions about whether or not he wants a nuclear war. I don't give it. Flying rats <laughs> asked what his yeah. intentions are. I'm talking about reality. Yeah. And the reality is this could happen even if you don't want it to happen. Right. And what if a tac uh, tactical nuke is used on the battlefield? What if uh, one of the Russian commanders go, well, the only way I can save myself is to vaporize, you know, this tank column with a tactical nuke. Mm -hmm. What then? Yeah. What what happens? That These are things that we don't know the answers to and which makes this situation in any war inherently dangerous. There's a great movie, uh, The Hunt for Red October. Yeah. And there's a scene where Jeffrey Van Pelt, played by Richard Jordan, I think it was, meets with the, uh, uh, he's our Secretary of State, meets with the uh, uh, Russian ambassador or the Soviet ambassador at the time and said, listen, having your troops and our troops so close together is inherently dangerous. Wars have started in such fashion. Yeah. And that's the, that's the bottom line, what we all should be concerned about. It's not whose intentions are or whether or not, you know, he's crazy or not. Look, the war has started. This is it, it, it. The whole world's involved. So I guess technically, you know, those people are saying we've, you know, the World War Three has begun. Well, they might damn well be right. Mm -hmm. We just hope it doesn't escalate any further than it is. Right. There are mercenaries that are going over to fight for ukraine from all over the world mm -hmm. what the hell is this where what what's the end game how do we get out of this how do we extricate ourselves from this after putin has put us in this box yeah. those are the situations that we have to to i think rationally consider at this point in time and uh rationality as we've seen among some world leaders is exceedingly small right <laughs> you know that that's why you gotta be happy that trump is on the sideline oh yeah all his dolls and his pictures <laughs> and showing up at rallies rather than being in the oval office right because it would just be a disaster oh my god yes and the last question i'm going to ask about that is where do you you know i mean i think bill barr recently said that the gop is kind of moving away from him but that doesn't you know look at what's going on and 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 everything in the bigger picture it doesn't necessarily look like that so for you know it's hard to tell but for 2024 what's your gut telling you is it going to be trump is it going to be DeSantis? for office again he's a grifter he's a con man he's better out of power he knows it he's making money right and left and he wants to be a kingmaker so um he will he will dance around the head of a pin deciding whether or not he's going to run till the very end 
and then he'll bow out go you know what uh, let's leave it this is the guy i like you know he can make america great again he's got he's you know that's our this is my boy yeah. and he'll pick someone the sand or whoever it is to carry on his mantle and these people are far more dangerous than donald trump yep. because they have some experience in government know how to pull the levers in yep. government Donald Trump is the guy who stumbled into the room and fell on all the levers and screwed them all up. <laughs> yes, he did. He's such a fucking asshole, too. Uh, yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, that was an interesting conversation. I, I really enjoyed talking to you on this. And I like I like the fact I don't usually interview journalists, but you have a, obviously a unique perspective because you are one. So I like hearing it. And um, I appreciate that you came to talk to me today. Um, is well, there thanks, Brad. <laughs> cool. Um, is there anything you'd like to add before I let you go? Yes, you can pick up the book wherever fine books are sold or <laughs> on the our Amazon. It's called Free the Press. You can uh, catch me at Brian Karam on Twitter or at JustAskTheQuestion.com is the uh, podcast where we interview very interesting people and sometimes beat them about the face and hands. <laughs> Awesome. Well, yeah, and I have included your information on my Patreon page. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, author Kimberly, L-E-Y, and I'm on Amazon. I have books. Read them, review them, and just don't forget, authors love reviews. So get Brian's book. And yeah, if you only like it, good give reviews. It a review. Yeah, the good that. reviews. Yep. So I said, if you like Brian's book, give him a good review. <laughs> we all need them. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Take care.